Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. These are the best stories from r slash stories about Kevin of 2023. Starting with the most upvoted post of the year, which is one of the craziest stories I've ever read. He wants to DNA test her kids. So I can't even completely wrap my brain around this, Kevin. But when my friend Sage told me the story, I just had to get her permission to post it here. She gave it, so here we go. Fair warning, I fear the number of IQ points that may be lost in reading this. Sage started dating Kevin about two years before this incident. Things seemed to be going all right between them. She told me he was a bit of a derp and sometimes incredibly oblivious to some things. He couldn't pick up subtle cues and even suggestions flew over his head with about a mile of airspace between his skull and the suggestion. She originally chalked it up to him being on the autism spectrum as she had a few other friends who have similar problems picking up cues. So she just switched her behavior from talking to neurotypical to talking to neurodivergen and the bump smoothed out for a while. All is well and good. Then the talk of taking the relationship seriously came up. Marriage, becoming a family. And that's when the plane hit the mountain with a cartoonish bang. Kevin announced that he wanted to DNA test Sage's kids to make sure they were his. Kids who were five and three when Sage and Kevin started dating. Sage said that she had to come to a full stop in the conversation for several seconds while her brain rebooted. They're not your kids. You know they're not. My ex-husband and I had them together before I ever met you. She had still been pregnant with the youngest when she and her ex had finalized the divorce. That's a whole other story. Yeah, and now that we're getting married, they'll become mine. I just want to DNA test them to be sure of it, replied Kevin. Let me see if I understand this. Do you do you actually think my children's DNA will change to become biologically yours when you adopt them? Obviously, I just want the confirmation on paper is all. Insert, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works meme here. There was a long conversation about how DNA didn't work that way with his rebuttal that adopting them would make them become his. Then there had to be a conversation that becoming his children would only happen on paper and in the legal system. That no, the children would not magically transform into his own biological children once the paperwork was filled out. Him insisting that everybody said the kids became theirs once adoption happened. Her explaining the concept of adopted children are loved just as much as if they were biological, and that was what that meant. Him insisting that everything pointed to kids becoming theirs. His mum eventually had to become involved to back Sage up. His dad had to become involved to back Sage up. A few books had to get involved to back Sage up. Kevin was furious. He couldn't understand why people would ever adopt a kid if the kid didn't become the actual biological child of the people who took them in. How stupid and selfish it was for kids to retain the DNA of the sperm or egg donor. How could any kid who wanted to be adopted refuse to change one little thing so they could have parents? DNA doesn't work that way is a BS excuse. 
He ranted, he raved, and right in front of his own parents, he told her that if her kids weren't going to become his kids, then the marriage wasn't going to happen. He told her that he would give them all a week to change their minds and agree to be his biological kids. He said, when they stopped being selfish and when the DNA test proved it, he would take the kids in. Sage said to me, and that's how the relationship ended. Uh, wait, hang on, I replied. Was he just looking for an excuse to break it off? Did he just get cold feet or want to date around some more or... Nope, he really is just that stupid. His mum called me on the sly and very gently suggested that I just break it off with Kevin because no matter how much she and his dad talk to him, he's adamant about it. He's even saying that he will never date a woman with kids from here on out unless they agree to change their DNA to become his if the relationship becomes serious. So Sage is single again, having dodged a tactical nuke. God help everyone if he ever breathes. Oh my goodness, what a return to r slash stories about Kevin. Just absolute stupidity. Unbelievable. To be honest, when I read the title, I thought it was going to be pretty stupid. Something like a Kevin asking a mum to get a DNA test for her children or, or something as idiotic as that. But I think this was actually worse. This was more dumb than what I expected. Him asking children to change their DNA to match his so that they can become a biological family. What? I mean, this is the top comment on the post. Uh, it just says, what the frick? And I think that pretty much just, just sums up my reaction. Wow. Let's move on to our next story. Kevin and the Coke. I'm going to tell you guys a stupid story and I'm going to tell it just the way I remember it. Yes, it's about Kevin, but I'm not going to spare myself here either. I used to be an idiot too. I don't have much of a defense, except that I'm from Florida and this took place there. Maybe that's all the defense I need. I don't know. This story happened during and because of my employment at a Radio Shack. If you didn't already know, Radio Shack workers used to be absolute freaking party animals back in the day. I tell you this because no one out there seems to understand just how hard a nerd can go and because it's germane to the story. So yeah, I was working at a Radio Shack in South Florida and we just completed our inventory. Anyone who has worked in retail knows just how awful and tedious and freakishly time-consuming an inventory can be. Since this happened back in the 1990s, before QR codes and phases came about, we had to find, count, and record each resistor, transformer, and capacitor. Every freaking item in the whole store by hand with nothing but pen and paper. And boy, did Radio Shack have a lot of little parts. It was mind-numbingly dull, and the process took several days to complete. This was also back when the movie Titanic came out and the company had some kind of eldritch corporate partnership which required us to play that abominable song on repeat all dang day. You know the one, don't make me say it. Naturally, out of self-preservation and sheer desperation, many of us employees resorted to unholy amounts of drugs and alcohol. Okay, I need to pause the story for a second so I can ask you guys a question. Have you ever had someone sidle up to you? like actually crab walk sideways and then kind of slide the last two steps up to you? Well, if you haven't, let me tell you that it's just as weird and off-putting as you're imagining. I bring this up only because that's the thing I think about whenever someone mentions Kevin. For story purposes, you guys should know something about Kevin. I don't have enough characters in this subreddit to do his existence justice, so I will just give you a basic synopsis. This guy was something else. I qualify that statement by saying that he once got stranded for four years in Brazil 
after a falling out with his prison pen pal girlfriend. And before you ask why a Brazilian would write to an American inmate, I'd explain that he wasn't the ex-con, she was. He found her through the back pages of some magazine. The story of how Kevin learned about long distance telephone charges goes here, but I'll save that tale for another time. When this girl finally kicked him out of her house, something to do with identity theft, smuggling, and exotic parrots, Kevin attempted to force the American government to send his broke ass back to the United States by literally lying on the street outside the embassy and waiting like a banshee on Barthels. As you can see, Kevin wasn't the sharpest of tacks. Sorry for that interruption, but I needed to make sure you guys understood a little something about Kevin before I continued telling this tale. So back to the story. It was around 10 p.m. and we just finished reconciling the inventory counts for the last time. Done. Finally. While it did turn out to be an excellent inventory, it was particularly long and grueling and we were all exhausted and hangry by the end of it. My boss, being awesome, decided to celebrate by picking up a bunch of beer and pizzas and inviting us all back to his house. This is technically where the actual story starts because this is when Kevin sidled up to me in the parking lot and asked me if I wanted to go with him real quick to pick up a bag of Coke. I guess I'm not the sharpest of tacks either because I agreed to go. I had a car, but Kevin insisted on driving. This was a problem because Kevin drove a busted 1976 Lincoln Continental. It was probably a beautiful example of American automotive engineering in its day with its original deep dark green paint job and flippy headlights. But now it was decrepit. The seats were sticky where they weren't threadbare and the exterior was a veritable museum of failed cosmetic repairs. The thing was covered in primer, missing all but one of its hubcaps, and the glove box oozed some vile amalgamation of spilled coffee and shea butter. Because you see, Kevin had a skin condition. The car smelled just awful, like a dead squirrel filled with old Arby's and whipped cream and then left to rot in the tropical sun. If I'm being honest here, I rather appreciated the shea butter and coffee. In that car, the ooze was a feature. Standing there in the pale, washed-out light of the Radio Shack sign, I weighed my options and made my decision. I laid an old hoodie strategically over the passenger seat and climbed in. After all, free drugs was always worth a bit of hardship. Right? Wrong. After a surprisingly uneventful drive, we got to his friend's place. He went inside, and when he came out, he was bouncing and armed with a huge eight ball. His guy really did him right. The very sight of this thing made me super excited to get back to my boss's house so we could get down to some serious hoovering. Kevin put the car in gear and began to talk. I was ignoring this as irrelevant, absorbed in my own thoughts, when all of a sudden, Kevin hit a trash can. Because I wasn't sure if the hit was intentional, I glanced over. Uh Uh-oh. Kevin was bent over, sweating and bug-eyed, fidgeting with the radio and simultaneously glancing back and forth between the rearview mirror and the side mirrors. Worried, I sat in watchful silence as he navigated his way out of the neighborhood. His conversation never faltered, even when we dinged a mailbox. Dang. With a sinking feeling, I realized that his gills were way past geeked. It was now around 11.30 and traffic had begun thinning out. His driving had deteriorated exponentially since leaving his friend's place, and I was only just then coming to terms with the fact that the reward, fat though it was, might not be worth the imminent disaster I could now see barreling down upon me. I knew then that this night was going to end badly. Something was going to happen. Something bad. My mind raced. Snap. We've got drugs. Kevin is driving. Kevin is driving this car 
Frick. Frick, frick, frick. The vehicle is obviously held together by a combination of prayer, spray foam, and bondo. Also, he's got no registration and an expired license. I know all of this because Kevin told me after we left with the coke. Kevin told me a lot of things during that drive. He answered a lot of questions about himself that I never asked. In fact, Kevin was so deep in coke conversation that he missed a critical turn on the main highway. Upon realizing that he missed this turn, he waited for the next intersection and against my desperate protestations, immediately cut across three lanes of traffic and slung that huge boat of a car around in a U-turn. While rather graceful, the move was illegal and there was an unmarked police car behind us. Oh, I freaked out. Then when the cop lit up his lights, I freaked out again, this time out loud. You freaking moron, I yelled. Kevin pulled over, except Kevin didn't pull over to his right like normal people do. No, he pulled over to his left into a turn lane. The cop pulled up behind us and waited, probably confused. I think it was this confusion that saved me. I say me instead of we, because at this moment, Kevin decided that he had it all under control. If I remember the sequence of events correctly, and I will never forget what I witnessed in those few moments, Kevin winked at me and then proceeded to pull the Coke bag out of his pocket and empty it into his mouth. Uh, what? Then he started chewing. I should tell you that this was a solid 3.7-ish grams of yellow flake Coke. Hard as a rock and uncut, it was huge. I sat awed and mesmerized at the scene unfolding before me. The red and blue lights flashing into the interior of the car made the whole thing even more surreal. All I could think was, oh my God, he's eating it. He's eating it. He's eating a whole eight ball of blow. Wait, wait, he's the driver. Instantly frightened and struggling to overpower the creeping sense of horror shivering up my spine, I screamed at him. Something along the lines of, what the frick? What are you doing, you freaking idiot? And that is the exact moment when Kevin realized that he had royally effed up. Generally, when one gets pulled over by the police, they expect a coherent response, even in South Florida. He flung the car door open and dashed into the night. I can only imagine the consternation of the police officer behind us as Kevin abandoned his car and bounded away into a neighborhood. I sat frozen in the passenger seat, amazed and stunned as the cop car behind me disengaged and took off down the side street after him. To this day, I do not know if there was only one officer in that police car or if he or she was operating under some regulation that made a driver more important than a passenger. It may have been that I was a small chick in a huge car and was therefore camouflaged against the seat. I just don't know. All I do know is that Kevin was gone, the cop was gone, and I was sitting in a running vehicle in the middle of the road. Yeah, I took off. In what I can only describe as a semi-fugue state, I drove Kevin's car back to the radio shack. After dropping off his car and getting mine, I drove to my boss's place, determined to get my fair share of pizza and beer in recompense for this fiasco of a night, and also to inform my boss that he would have to open the store tomorrow because Kevin was most likely not going to make it in on time. I was regaling everyone with the story of just why he wouldn't make it when the front door banged open and Kevin stumbled in. I'm not exaggerating when I say it was like one of those old West saloon scenes. You know the ones where the whole place quiets when the hero enters? Just like that. Instead, except of a hero gliding, it was Kevin flopping. He was soaking wet and disheveled. 
Wild-eyed, he was completely out of breath and his shirt was missing. His exposed torso and arms were crisscrossed with deep scratches and abrasions. He looked like he'd been in a fight for his life. We all must have been staring at him in silent astonishment. I know that I was. Kevin squished into the room and collapsed wetly into a chair. In a garbled voice, he asked me if I had his car keys and then, relieved with my answer, he motioned for a beer. Turns out that he did manage to successfully evade the cops that night. At the last moment, he found a drainage canal and jumped in. Fortunately, this saved him from arrest, but unfortunately, he wasn't alone in that canal. According to Kevin, an alligator chased him through a bunch of thorny brush out of the water and then up into a yard. He said he was terrified almost to death, but couldn't scream for help because his mouth was frozen from the coke. He barely escaped with his life. (laughs) What? Now, when it comes to this last part of the story, I don't know how much is actually true. However, I do know that I saw that man literally chow down on close to four grams of rocked up pure Peruvian marching powder before freaking swallowing it. Then I saw that same dude evade the police by vanishing into the dark like some kind of overweight Hungarian Zorro before reappearing triumphant and unscathed hours later. Based on this, I choose to believe him about the alligator. Either way, it was a night to remember. And that, my friends, is the stupid story of Kevin and the Coke. I'm sorry you read this. I'm absolutely gobsmacked by that story. That was unbelievable. Uh, Wow. I mean, I say unbelievable. In the literal sense of the word, it was very believable. I agree with you, OP. I feel like all the stuff that you definitely saw happen in front of your own eyes leads me to believe that the alligator story probably is legit as well. Like, once you've done all that other stuff that we know for sure happened, saying that an alligator chased you in a canal is not even that mental. It's not even far-fetched. It's probably the most normal part of this entire story. Oh my word, what have I just read? That was incredible. Now I know why you guys wanted the return of stories about Kevin. If they're all like that, my word, I will cover this subreddit exclusively. What a ride. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Kevin thinks he can speak every language in the world. I used to work with a guy named Kevin who was convinced that he could speak every language in the world. He was always bragging about how he could converse with anyone in their native tongue, no matter where they were from. One day, we were at a work event and a group of foreign colleagues came to visit. Kevin immediately jumped up and started speaking to them in what he claimed was their language, but the look of confusion on their faces told a different story. It turned out that Kevin had just been speaking gibberish, mixing random words and sounds together in a bizarre attempt at speaking in their language. He had no idea what he was saying, but he was convinced that he was impressing them. To make matters worse, Kevin started insisting that the foreigners were the ones who didn't understand their own language properly. He even tried to correct them on their pronunciation and grammar. Needless to say, the rest of us were cringing and trying to distance ourselves from Kevin's embarrassing behavior. It was hard to believe that someone could be so clueless and yet so confident at the same time. From then on, Kevin's delusions of linguistic grandeur became a running joke among our team. But we also learned to be more careful about taking him at his word when it came to anything else. 
Okay, there you go. That is our first Kevin of today. Now, you might be thinking, uh, yeah, absolute idiot. And you'd be right. Maybe you're thinking to yourself as well, how could anyone be more stupid than, than this Kevin right here? And it's a, fair, it's a fair comment. It's a fair question. I'll give you that. But just hold your horses because the Kevin that we're about to see now is like 10 times as dumb. It's genuinely incredible. Here we go. Now for our next story about Kevin. This one is sensational. Strap in. My co-worker Kevin. Drywall defamation and d pics quick note the kevin in this story is actually named kevin make of that what you will i an 18 year old man worked my summer job this year at a hardware store in the midwest usa it's a smaller franchise hardware store not a giant one like lowe's or home depot so the owner has a bit more freedom to do what they want in this case kevin is the owner's son and the owner probably illegally hired kevin for 18 dollars an hour significantly more than we make and as i'll show you below he definitely did not deserve such a wage there were three main tasks that summer job teenagers like myself and kevin had cashier duty sales and stocking shelves kevin did okay barring a few minor incidents with stocking shelves but the other two were chaos every time he got near them on my first day i was working with kevin and a friend of mine from school we'll call him jake then there were two full-time employees staffing the store an old guy, let's call him Walter, and an even older woman, the store manager, who'll be named Edith. These are the best old people's names I've got. Kevin had cashier duty, Jake had sales, I had shelf stocking, and Walter was the second cashier. A Kevin welcome. Me and Jake both got started on our respective tasks for our first day and did everything pretty much by the book until around 11am. We'd been open for a couple of hours when Kevin sauntered in but nobody had really noticed him missing since Jake and I didn't know he existed yet and Walter barely had anyone to serve as cashier anyway, so Kevin wasn't really needed. But soon, he strolled up to me and Jake while we were in an aisle and said, So, we've got some fresh meats in the most ridiculous movie bully voice ever. We laughed at him and he walked off to his cashier station huffing and puffing. Then he turned around and yelled back, Show me some respect, rookies. About five seconds later, Kevin walks into a shelf and shrieks in pain. He goes up to the cashier station and about 10 minutes later, he gets a customer. Now, I didn't see the initial incident, but I sure heard it. Someone was buying some lawn decorations, one of which was a giant glass ball in the shape of a frog. I'm sure you see where this is going. Kevin dropped it and it smashed, then refused to refund the customer, a little old lady. By now, Walter had got on the intercom and called me up front to open the other lane while they cleaned up. I ran up front and see the trash show unfolding. Rather than help Walter, who was on his hands and knees picking up tiny glass shards, he decides to argue with the 90-year-old, yelling at her for buying stupid frog art that looks like an adult toy. I tried to keep Walter's lane moving because three people were in line, but everybody was watching Kevin berate an old lady at the top of his high, squeaky voice. Walter finally managed to wrest the cashier station keyboard from Kevin and refunds the old woman and apologizes to her for Kevin's actions. About an hour later, I get the chance to ask Walter what the heck is wrong with Kevin. Oh, he's the owner's son. He's worked here for three days. It was at this moment that I realized it would be a long summer. Mexico will pay for the drywall. Kevin was a conservative. He made sure everyone knew this, starting every second conversation with a political comment. So on my second day, I was cashiering, Kevin was in sales, and Jake was stocking shelves. Kevin started the day by walking in and yelling at the top of his voice that taxes are too high and nobody needs social security because 
Society is already secure. We have cops. No idea why he thought to do this. Kevin decided it would be a good idea to ask a customer who was buying blue paint for their walls at home why they're putting Democrat colors in their house. The customer walked out. Edith witnessed this and reprimanded Kevin, but obviously nobody wants to say anything to the owner's son. Not 20 minutes have passed with Kevin unsupervised when I walk by to find him switching out every can of blue paint with a red one. At this point, my thought process is that I don't get paid enough to deal with this and it's not my problem. So I keep walking. Well, Kevin felt slighted by me laughing at him the day before, so he quickly walks out of the aisle, gets on the intercom, and yells for Edith. About 10 minutes later, Edith walks up to me and informs me that Kevin blamed the paint thing on me. Edith looked at the cameras and saw it was clearly Kevin, but she let me know to try and steer clear of him because he liked to make other people feel bad. What a loser. Hail damage? Hail Satan. A few days of blatant stupidity followed the incidents above, but nothing quite as crazy. Kevin put wasp spray in the paint section since he said it was used to paint walls. He also brought a tube of toothpaste from home and jammed it into the cash drawer during a shift change, leaving the drawer open and unattended for over an hour. But things really ramped up again after about a week. There was a forecast for severe storms later in the week. So an older couple, both wearing Metallica shirts, came in to buy some plastic sheeting and stakes to cover their garden. Kevin was doing sales that day. The poop hit the fan. The husband explained that he had tomatoes and wanted to keep them safe from the storm. So Kevin, being who he is, explained to them that if you didn't listen to devil music, God would keep you safe. Try praying once in a while. Well, the customer just didn't find this amusing. The couple walked out and left the cart with $300 in other merchandise. Can't cancel Kevin. About a week on from that last incident, Kevin got in trouble. I wasn't there this day for doing a... (laughs) Wow. I mean, I can't read this out, but poopler salute, I guess is the best way I can describe that, which is a Hitler salute while grabbing his butt. (laughs) What the... That is is absolutely ridiculous. He claimed it was anti-Nazi, but his dad, the owner, came into the store and let us all know that he talked to him about it. That is the most ridiculous thing so far. That is mental. Well, Kevin came back the next day, and at this point, me and Jake had just learned to ignore him. But he approached us during a break, and he asked, without any prior conversation, Are you all? Insert gay slurs. We stand slack-jawed in amazement that he would ask that. And Jake quickly responds, No, that's kind of not okay, man. Kevin goes absolutely ballistic. He begins explaining in detail how any man who spends time with another man is gay and how being gay makes God cry. Kevin claimed, you screwed last night and that's why it's raining outside now because God is crying. I really had no words, but Jake did, who told him to go F his cousin in a log cabin referring to Kevin's love of country music and camo t-shirts. Jake got a call from the boss that night, telling him he'd be fired if he ever spoke that way to his son again. Jake tried explaining what Kevin had said, but to no avail. The boss just said his son had good Christian values. That is revolting. Kevin doesn't understand goats. Kevin developed a weird obsession with goats around the middle of the year. It turns out he saw a post online that jokingly said Russian troops were having sex with goats. So pretty soon, Kevin started printing online art of goat-human hybrids, mostly furry art, and posting them up in the livestock feed section with the caption, warning, no goat sucking, because these ideas logically connect if you're a Kevin. 
Plus, to me, a goat sucker means a desert cryptid. Not a practitioner of bestiality, but I guess that's just me. But the goat thing didn't stop there. Oh, no way. He later tried to explain to me that humans are really descended from goats. His logic for this was that goats are called goats because they decided to go when other animals weren't evolving. Again, I feel insane just writing that out. I do not blame you, OP. That is insane. Duct tape Kevin. Vent problem? During the summer, we had an issue where one of the air conditioning vents for the building wasn't working, which made that corner of the store really hot. He came up with the unusually coherent plan to close all the other vents and try to force air to that vent so we could see if any air was coming through at all. If there was some tiny amount of air, that would mean it was just blocked, not broken. Well, I tell him this is an okay idea and I have him go and do it. But this was Kevin. Would anything be done the simple way? Heck no. Rather than pull the little lever on the side of each vent, he duct taped all eight other vents shut with three whole rolls of tape which he of course took from the shelves without replacing or logging in inventory. We spent the next hour peeling that tape from the vents, which was especially hard given that he crazy glued the tape to the vents. Still, the vent problem was still there. We didn't include Kevin in the next brainstorm and Walter came up with a plan to just shove a garden stake from the outdoor department into the vent and try to dislodge whatever was up there manually. Whatever was up there turned out to be three soccer balls. We didn't have a camera in the vents, since this is a hardware store, not Freddy Fazbear's. Nonetheless, I have a sneaking suspicion as to who put three soccer balls in the vents, and it ain't Lionel Messi. If I'm being honest, this was way above all of our pay grades, and maybe the real Kevin in this part was his dad. None of us were HVAC specialists. Still, I'm sure he couldn't afford it considering all the free passes he kept giving his son. Karen versus Kevin. Kevin was bad enough with the normal customers that when we finally got our ultimate Karen, Walter and I just stood around watching the show. This woman walks in five minutes after the store opens and buys a gigantic bird bath. This thing is like four feet tall and 150 pounds. She needs help to lift it, but Kevin sneers at her and makes me help her even though he's on sales for the day. Well, she comes through my lane and I ring it up for $220, which is the right price as shown on the tag. Karen, though, insists that it's $30. I ask why, and she walks over with me and points to the shelf where a $30 clearance tag is hanging for the bag of bird feeder seed above. I explain to her that it's not $30 for the bird bath, but she points to it and says, but the tag is right there. I turn and whisper to Walter, and we decide to release the Kevin Kraken. I go back to the line, apologize to the other customers, and wave her to go see Kevin, who's standing at the customer service desk. About 15 minutes later, I notice the two are still arguing. At this point, the woman is screaming at him and he's giving it back to her. Except he's not talking about the product. He's trying to explain to her that birds don't need to bathe. They have a built-in shower. That's why they're always scratching themselves. Give him hell, Kevin. Karen decides to take her phone out and start recording. And when Kevin keeps telling her she is a stupid boomer for wanting to give birds what God already gave them... Karen demands to see the manager. Edith walks up and tells Karen to leave. And Karen then finishes the recording by saying that Kevin was defaming her by calling her a stupid boomer and the store would soon be hearing from her lawyers. We actually did. The woman sent a legal threat in the mail. Jake got fired for not helping his co-workers to de-escalate the situation while he was on shelf stocking duty, even though nobody called him to the front. In the boss's opinion, Jake was willfully ignoring Kevin's unspecified intellectual disability. 
None of us had ever been told that Kevin had an intellectual disability, though we'd be the Kevins if we didn't know, considering all that he did. The next day would be my last at the store. Hardware hard on. The day after the Karen incident, we ran out of metal poles. This is one of our more popular items, and we usually just get them in huge bulk and load 10 or so out onto the shelf at once, so that if they fall to the floor, it isn't too much to deal with. I told Kevin to print out an out of stock message, assuming the guy could just go scrape something off Google Images and put it out there. We of course don't have our own out of stock labels since Kevin burned them when he set the microwave on fire in the break room, but that's a story for another time. Kevin did not use Google Images. Rather, he printed an interesting image. Towards the end of the shift that afternoon, I was walking by the metal section when I saw a strange image on a piece of paper hanging off the empty shelf, though I couldn't tell what it was. I walked up closer and could not believe what I was looking at. On the left of the page was a map of Poland. On the right was a nude photograph of Kevin with a hard-on taken what? Taken in the employee bathroom. Below the two images was a caption, metal poles not found. Try these other poles. Oh my god. <laughs> that is that is probably the craziest thing I've ever read. <laughs> wow. I'm just going to present this one without comment. Anyway, I quit at the end of the day because Kevin blew up in a rage at me for throwing away the picture, yelling at me that I just threw it away because I hate Polish people. <laughs> Nothing about, you know, the D-pick. Oh my god, now the title makes sense. Kevin has called me a total of 67 times, I counted, since I quit, from 13 phone numbers. How does he have 13? <laughs> Oh my god, what a story. What a story. And there we have it. Uh, that goes down as the dumbest thing that I've ever put into my brain in my entire life. Metal poles not found. Try these other poles. I kind of want to put that on a t-shirt. That is just sensational. That is like so many things in here. I had to just stop for a second as you, as you would have heard. I just think what is actually happening here? What is going on? This is the first video back from being ill. And it's this. <laughs> Sensational stuff is all I can say. And I, by the way, the thing that screams out is that I need, I need more about this Kevin. Like, the fact that you're, you've given all this content, yet you're leaving out other stories. You know, the microwave story, for example, where he, he set on fire the actual out of order signs. I mean, we've got, to, we've got to hear that. We simply have to. I'm honestly gobsmacked. Guys, get in the comments down below. One word to sum up this Kevin, if you can. If you can't, 10,000. I still don't think we'd be able to. Unbelievable. What? A post. Kevin the inept felon runs from police and loses something more than his freedom. And not for the first time. This occurred in 1997. I was a news photographer, video not still, for over 20 years. The majority of that was at a TV station in a large sized city. I'd been at this place less than a year, so I was working weekends. On a Sunday morning, I was heading to work and I noticed it had rained earlier because of all the puddles of water around. This city was a ghost town on Sundays, so I expected it to be somewhat slow until a reporter came in later to come up with a story. I walked into the newsroom, which at that time was only occupied by the guy running the assignment desk, RK. I was about to take off my jacket and get some more videotapes for my camera when RK told me not to get too comfortable. He had to send me out right away. What's going on? I asked. I'm not sure. Police Watch Command called us and said they had a story. You're kidding, I said. 
For context, whoever is working the assignment desk in the morning has a daily ritual of calling up all the local police and fire departments to see if anything has happened overnight. If it was a slow night, they'd just say no and we'd move down the list to the next one. If something did happen, they would let us know then. They never call to say they had a story for us. RK told me that a police sergeant was waiting for me at an intersection about four blocks away. I grabbed some tapes and drove over there, not knowing what to expect. The area I went to was an older part of town that had a few railroad tracks crisscrossing where freight trains would normally pass through. The sergeant sees me pull up and he gets out of his car, walking up to me with a smirk on his face. I walk up to him with all my camera gear and I ask him what is going on. He says, let's just start the interview and I'll tell you. Weird. Usually I try to get an idea of what's going on before I start an interview, but whatever. I go through the motions of clipping a microphone on his tie, getting him into position so the lighting looks good, asking him on camera for his name, spelling, and rank. Okay, I asked, what's going on? And the sergeant proceeds to tell me the tale of Kevin, the inept felon. Earlier that morning, Kevin had been driving around looking for somebody to rob to support whatever bad habit he had at the time. It was an older part of town, but it still had nice homes in it, so not a bad neighborhood at all. After a while, he finally spotted three men walking down the sidewalk. He parked his car and ran up to them. He had a metal tool in the pocket of his jacket. I think it was part of an old steering wheel club that he was pointing at them through the pocket to make it look like he was armed and he told them he wanted their cash. Judging by his appearance, they thought he was homeless and they started digging around for any loose change. The first guy didn't have anything. The second had a 10 spot. Kevin realized he wasn't making himself clear, so he motioned with his gun at them to let them know he meant business. The third guy finally clued in on what was going on, so he pulled out his very real gun and pointed it at Kevin. As I was being told this story, I imagined Kevin's eyes bugging out of his head a la Looney Tunes at this point. Realizing he's outgunned, Kevin pulls out his gun and takes a couple of swings at the men before sprinting back to his car. The three men manage to get a plate number before he drives off. They call the police with the plate and a description of Kevin. The car comes back as stolen and the police pull out a B-O-L-O for Kevin and the car. For those of you like me that are not from America, that stands for be on the lookout. A patrol officer in the area heard it and thought it sounded like Kevin since he was a frequent flyer in the back of cop cars. He decided to head down to a popular park downtown that was frequented by criminals, druggies and other riffraff. Upon approaching the park, he sees, parked along the curb, the vehicle in question. And there is the Kevin he knows standing next to it, talking to some of his ne'er-do-well friends. Kevin notices the cop approaching and makes a beeline for his ill-gotten car. They start a short chase around downtown. Fortunately, since it was Sunday morning, downtown was deserted. They eventually end up at the place where I'm conducting the interview. Unfortunately for Kevin, there is a slow-moving train going through the intersection and blocking his escape. Kevin, in his infinite wisdom, decides that the train is moving slow enough that he could easily jump in between the cars and get away. Believing he has enough of a lead on the cop, he abandons his vehicle and runs for the train. At the beginning of this story, I said I'd noticed it had rained earlier in the morning. Apparently, Kevin didn't notice. As the pursuing officer was stopping his vehicle, Kevin was jumping in between two train cars, but he slipped on a wet coupling, flopped onto the street under the train, and got his left leg cut off above the knee. The cop stopped in his tracks, 
quickly spun around and reached into his patrol car to grab a fistful of the oversized zip ties police were using at the time as flex cuffs. He ran over to Kevin and made a tourniquet with them around what was left of his thigh. He called it in and an ambulance and fire truck showed up to stabilize Kevin and haul him off to the hospital. After the sergeant I'm interviewing finished his tale, I'm just standing there in a dead stare with my mouth open. After he confirmed he wasn't joking about the story, I asked him a couple of follow-up questions and unclipped the mic. I let him know I didn't need him anymore if he needs to go and I asked him where exactly it happened. He points to the tracks ahead of us about 30 feet. I asked him if it was still bloody up there and he said no, the fire department hosed everything away. I thanked him for his time and got to work getting some B-roll. After shooting for a minute and wondering exactly where it happened, I noticed a bit of leg meat wedged in between the street and the train track that the fire department had missed. I got what I needed there and headed to the park where the officer spotted him and into the neighborhood where he tried to hold up those three guys to get some additional video. I make it back to the station where RK asked me how it went. I sit down and tell him the tale of Kevin the inept felon. His reaction is the same as mine. We both laughed about it for a minute and he tells me about the next story I need to shoot. The rest of the day is rather slow. So slow that I'm told that the story about Kevin is the lead for the 5 p.m. news. Back then, after we shot a story, we just handed it off to an editor and that was the last I heard about it until news time. I eventually go back to the train tracks to meet up with the reporter for the live shots. We talk briefly about the shot he wants for the background and chuckle about Kevin's misfortune. Five o'clock hits and the anchor in the newsroom throws it to the reporter. He gives a brief intro about Kevin's adventure and throws it to the package. The pre-recorded story with the reporter's voice track on top of interviews and video. I listened to it in my earpiece, waiting to cue the reporter when they throw it back to him on camera. Now, since someone else edited the story, I missed out on one last bit of information. The reporter explains on camera that this was not the first time Kevin's own actions resulted in an injury. Two years earlier, Kevin and another man got into a physical argument involving a shotgun. They were trying to wrestle it from one another until the muzzle gets pointed downwards and blammo, Kevin blows his right foot off. As the reporter says this over the air, I start saying, what? Halfway through, I instinctively slap my hand over my mouth. I never did go back to look at the air check, but I'm sure that made it on the air. He throws it back to the newsroom and the director clears us. My reporter starts taking off his mic and earpiece and notices that I'm just staring at him with my mouth open once again. What? He asks, let me get this straight, I say. So not only is this guy through his own fault missing his leg, but now he just doesn't have any feet? Yep, he says, some people's kids. Oh my goodness me. I mean, look, maybe we could have forgiven Kevin for this one incident. I mean, people make mistakes, right? And I'm all for seeing the good in people. Uh, You know, it's not the best idea to try and rob people and then make a stupid decision by trying to jump through two trains Uh, But but nonetheless, you know, we all make mistakes However, the fact that he's already blown off one of his feet and now is literally footless Just confirms if we didn't know already which realistically after hearing the first first part of the story We did that this Kevin is indeed a Kevin and is an absolute clown I think what what is very important here to remember is that he was trying to do this right as in you know escape the the cop with one foot because he'd already blown off the first foot right so was he running with one foot i mean does he have a a, a prosthetic i feel like there's more information here that we need would he have made the jump if he'd had two feet 
who knows? Maybe if he had the foot in the first place, he would now have both feet still. I don't know. I mean, this is just as typical a Kevin story as you can get, really. Just crazy, insane. And ultimately, the guy is just left disabled for no real reason apart from his own stupidity. <laughs> there we go. Now for our next story about Kevin. Courier Kevin will die on the code hill. A few days back, I used one of those courier apps. I type in my info and delivery address, and I wait for the guy or gal to come pick up my package. They're usually friendly and efficient. No issues until now. This time though, Kevin shows up. First sign of trouble, he calls my phone. That's never happened before. Hi, I'm Kevin from X Delivery. I'm at your door. He most certainly isn't, since that would have required me to buzz him in to access my floor. But nevertheless, I humor him. Hi, Kevin. Did you follow someone in? I look through my peephole, and as expected, there's nobody in sight. No, I'm here. Open, please. I hear an aggravated lady through the phone. Tell them it's the wrong door. Kevin? I say. Yes? Where are you? I'm at your door. No, Kevin, I'm at my door. And you are not. Have you checked the address? Kevin hangs up, then proceeds to call again. Mom, open please. I'm at your door. At this point, the woman at the other end is threatening to call the police. Kevin, please leave that poor woman alone. Walk out and find the right building. I then tell him the address. I don't need to check the building. I used the entry code. The door opened, so it's the right building. Kevin, I'm now in my building's hallway and you're not. So clearly you're in the wrong building. I'm telling you you're wrong. The woman you've been bothering is telling you you're wrong. And I'm not having this conversation all day. Especially considering I'm freezing my butt off, coatless, in my slippers, gradually losing my compassionate adult veneer. Kevin hangs up again and then calls back. Kevin? Yes? I swear to God, if you hang up on me one more time, this won't end well. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. Are you listening? Yes. Good. Tell me. Are you on XYZ Street? Yes. Lovely. Please walk out of that building and stand on the sidewalk. I'll find you. I look out and I spot Kevin two buildings up the road. He was easy enough to find. The company dress code is bright red. Cue extra negotiations to get him to walk to me. Remember, I'm still in slippers, no coat on. Kevin finally reaches me and the first thing out of his mouth is, why does that building have the same entry code as yours? How would I know, Kevin? I don't live there. But but two buildings can't have the same entry code. That makes no sense. You know what makes no sense? You insisting that I should know what goes on over there. In a building I do not live in. He stares at me for a few seconds, then mumbles, Sorry I wasted your time. I did ask him if he was sure he could handle this delivery. He declared he was fine now. And that is the most bizarre Kevin encounter I've had to date. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything screams Kevin more than... Oh my goodness me, how does another building have the same entry code as yours? Does he genuinely think that every building in the entire world with some form of security system or entry system should be in communication and say, none of us are allowed to have the same code as any other building ever in the entire world? Ideally, that would happen, I would say. It'd be, it'd be great for security. However, it does seem quite impractical. It really does. I do actually feel kind of bad for this guy. I don't think this was malicious, given that at the end he says... Sorry, I wasted your time. I kind of feel bad. And I do think that, that a lot of the time with Kevins, they are not malicious people. Unlike entitled parents and, and, and a lot of other people that we see on, you know, revenge subreddits, for example, that are kind of bad people. Kevins are just doing what they can, I think, but they're just pretty dumb and have no common sense. Kind of like this guy. And now for our final story about Kevin, just a quick one to finish. 
Kevin misses total solar eclipse in a car wash. Back in 2017, a lot of the USA got to see a total solar eclipse. At every location, totality only lasted for a couple of minutes, so it was a huge deal. There hadn't been a mainland US total eclipse for decades. The Kevin in this story is my dad, who took me and my brother, I was 13 then, my brother was eight, to see the eclipse with a big crowd in the middle of Nebraska. Everyone was standing around waiting, but my dad insisted the eclipse was an hour later because of daylight savings time not working on an eclipse. Why would they want to save daylight when the moon is in front of it? This in spite of the 200 people gathered in the middle of this grungy small city slash large town, Grand Island and E to watch. So my dad, Kevin, says he's going to buy potato chips at a gas station nearby. I figure this is okay. Worst case, if he doesn't get back in time, he will watch from his car. An hour later, totality is over and everyone gets ready to leave. Papa Kevin comes back and it's the first time I've ever seen him cry. He explains, he got a car wash and missed it. There's another eclipse next year and Kevin says that this time he's taking a bike. Oh my gosh, if there's one thing that you don't wanna do when you know there's going to be some form of eclipse, it's kind of shelter yourself from the outside world, the sky in any way, you know, go inside, go in a car wash where there are things all over you and you're inside the car and, ah, so dumb. I mean, look, if there was better reasoning behind it, perhaps I could let this Kevin off. But the fact that he said that daylight savings time doesn't work on an eclipse, as in what? You have to forget the fact that, that time has changed or the hour has changed because there's an eclipse. Like eclipses and, and other planets don't have different time in general. It's just, I, I, I can't even begin to kind of understand or work out what he's trying to say here. Surely if you see a group of 200 people waiting for something at a certain time, you don't think, oh, they're all wrong and I'm right. Let's go and wash the car. Seems pretty uh, stupid. And again, you know, he's not a bad person. He's really upset with himself at the end, you can tell. But maybe in the future he'll learn this lesson. Uh, who knows? I feel bad. Once again, I do kind of feel bad. And I feel like that's sort of the sort of the case with a lot of these Kevins. Kevina performs CPR on roadkill. I worked with a Kavina and she drove a trashy little beta sedan. She was driving up in the mountains, rounded a corner and absolutely annihilates a deer's front end. By some miracle, she was not hurt, though her car was totaled. She gets out and sees that the deer is definitely dead. There's brain matter all over the pavement. She calls her boyfriend Kevin in tears about how bad she feels for the deer. Kevin tells her, why don't you try CPR? You're a veterinary technician. I'm sure you can do it. Kavina hypes herself up and convinces herself this is a good idea. She starts doing the standard two-handed chest pumps and is getting nowhere because the deer is too broad and she's 5'2 and 100 pounds. This progresses to her punching the deer in the chest as hard as she can. She gets into a rhythm and starts bending the deer's head up to her face to give mouth to snout breaths. Thankfully, another driver had seen the incident, pulled over to help and was on the phone with emergency services. The driver ends the phone call, gets out of her car and tries to convince Kavina to stop swapping spit with Bambi. But Kavina is convinced that she can do this. The laws of nature be danged. Kavina's knuckles are bloody and raw from assaulting the corpse and her face is covered in blood from trying to do mouth to snot breaths. She refuses to stop until the ambulance crew arrives to check her out. The EMTs had to convince her it was a lost cause, so she would get in the ambulance. 
She wasn't hurt in the crash, but I'm sure they wanted to be cautious given the amount of blood that she had on her. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if it worked and that deer popped back up. Yeah, just the phenomenal start of this episode. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It wouldn't be unbelievably insane if you didn't see the deer's brain spattered, if that's even a word, all over the road. Uh, probably splattered was more up, more up there, but we'll go for spattered. Just the image there of a woman giving mouth to snout, as OP so phenomenally called it, on, on an animal that is just so clearly dead. Crazy. I mean, look, she has good intentions, and that's what I said in the intro. It's, it's people that aren't malicious people. You know, she's trying to save a life there, and she probably feels really guilty. But it's just ridiculous. Absolutely insane. Let's carry on. Chemistry student outs himself. As a chemistry grad student at a moderately prestigious university, I, like most of my colleagues, spent a few hours a week as a lab TA for the first year students. I preferred doing the lab for students who were taking the enriched course. This gave a bit more depth than the regular course and was intended for the students who had a real interest in the subject. Unfortunately, a lot of the students were really just after a flashy item on their transcripts towards getting into something like medical school. They tended to think that they deserved a good grade because one, they were at a moderately prestigious university, two, they were taking the enriched course, and three, they were expecting to go to med school. To quote one, I don't need to cheat. I'm a med student at this uni. This despite having been caught red-handed and not yet being anywhere near med school. By any standard, a lot of these kids were pretty mediocre at best. One such student tried to hand a lab report in late, despite their having been told that the deadline was inflexible. Late report equals no report. He claimed that he'd been granted permission by the lab coordinator. I checked with her, to be sure, and to my lack of surprise, was told that that was BS. I chucked it back to the guy with a big fat zero, written in red pen on the front page, and a warning not to try anything like that again. But this guy seemed to be more than usually clueless. A few weeks after that, the students were working on a module on shapes and symmetry of molecules. They were building models using chemical tinker toys, balls and sticks to represent atoms and bonds. They were supposed to be learning about three-dimensional structures, comparing them to their mirror images, seeing what happened if parts were rotated. Because some people have trouble understanding these concepts, the students were allowed to work in larger groups than their usual lab partner pairs. But this guy was by himself and appeared to just be sticking the balls and sticks together randomly, playing with the tinker toys rather than working on the module. It would have been okay if he'd been doing something related to chemical structures. I'd have encouraged creative thinking about the subjects, but this was just kindergarten playing so I thought I'd gently encourage him to get back on track. I came up to him, peered at his ball and stick structure, looked pointedly at his open lab manual, looked again at his tinker toys, then looked him in the eyes and asked, so what are you on? He anxiously snapped back, nothing. I paused for a couple of seconds, blinking, reprocessing the situation, then asked, what exercise are you on? Oh, um, exercise three. I just looked at him, shook my head, and walked away. A couple of weeks after that, he disappeared from my lab section. I never saw him again. I hope he didn't get into med school. Ah, oh, that is a tough one. That is a really tough spot. You can just tell that he didn't really think about it. He didn't realize that you, OP, were asking him. It was just his, his flat response to that question, what are you on, in terms of a drug, I presume. But uh, no, what exercise? 
are you on? Ah, that's just very, very tough. Opie has said, actually, in the comments down below that he was stoned in class. And the reason that, in her opinion, he is a Kevin, and I agree, is that he blatantly lied about being permitted to submit his report late when it just wasn't the truth. I mean, yeah, again, I get, I get that he's trying to get away with it, but come on, dude. Like, she's obviously going to go and ask the person that set the task. Is that legit or not? You just knew this was going to happen. Just take the L, my friend. Now for our next story about Kevin. Lunchtime Kevin. I've only just found this sub and I've been reading many stories thinking, wow, this sounds exactly like my ex. Many years ago, I was engaged to a Kevin. We just purchased our first home and money was tight. We sat down together to try to find areas where we could save money. One of our biggest expenses was buying lunch while at work. He was spending close to $20 a day on lunch and I was spending nearly the same. We decided that I would prepare lunches for each of us to take to work. I purchased lunch bags and drink bottles and then we planned the food. He asked for ham, cheese and tomato sandwiches. For me, I was purchasing chicken and beef for sandwiches or preparing small meals that I could put in the microwave. One thing to note, I am highly allergic to ham. Each morning I would get up and prepare my food. Then I'd put gloves on, prepare Kevin's food and pack it for him and he would take it to work. Every time I asked him what he wanted or if he wanted some of the leftover roast chicken and veg for lunch, I would get a, no thanks, just two ham, cheese and tomato sandwiches. After a couple of months, I noticed that i have been putting more money into our savings, but Kevin didn't seem to be saving any extra. He was a mechanic and earned less money than me, so I thought that might be it. One day when I had the day off from work, he rang me. He'd left his medication at home. So I got it and drove down to his work. I walked into the workshop. Kevin wasn't there. And one of the other mechanics called out, Oh, look, it's Mrs. Ham, Cheese and Tomato. And then the mechanics all started laughing. I asked him, what does that mean? He replied, that's all Kevin ever brings in for lunch. I said, yeah, that's all he ever asked for. I ask him every day and he only ever wants ham, cheese and tomato. The mechanic then proceeds to tell me that every day at lunchtime, Kevin opens his lunch bag up and says, not another freaking ham, cheese and tomato sandwich, throws it in the bin and then walks to the shop to buy a burger, fries, some pie and a milkshake. Kevin then arrived holding his lunch, which he tried to hide when he saw me. I gave him his meds and then left. When I spoke to him at home that night, he explained that he didn't want to hurt my feelings and not ask for lunch. I explained to him that I was spending a lot of money on his lunch and time preparing it. He said, but you were already making your own lunch, so it's not like it costs more. I told him I was buying $20 worth of ham a week, which was 100% for him. That is $20 I could be saving from not buying it. He didn't understand and kept saying, but you were already making your own lunch. There was no extra cost. I stopped making him lunches after that. Okay, well, this one is just a a real head scratcher. I mean, how can this person, this man, not understand what's going on here at all? You were already making your own lunch, therefore there was no extra cost. I mean, can you say a sentence that's more dumb than that? Genuinely. I mean, he means this wholeheartedly and he's saying this. It's unbelievable. I don't really need to bother explaining why this is just so wrong. Also, why wouldn't you ask for something that you want? Like, there's so much wrong with this. Ask for something that you want, at least. Then you get a bigger lunch. If you're going to go and buy a lunch anyway, why not ask for a sandwich that you actually want and then eat it? I, I, I've got so many questions that are clearly never going to be answered. So let's just move on. My teacher almost had me arrested. This happened a couple of years ago when I was in school for software engineering. 
One of my teachers, the convener of this story, accidentally left a USB stick in the classroom after our last lesson of the day. We didn't notice until an hour later because we were still playing games after class. When we left, we noticed it and decided to check whose it was. We plugged it into one of the school computers, not gonna risk our own laptops with a random USB drive, and noticed that it was hers. It was completely full of grade sheets, old exams, and the answer keys. We unplugged her and tried to find her to give it back, but she'd already gone home. The next day, we found her and handed the drive back to her. A couple of days later, on Christmas Eve, everyone involved received the following email. Dear director of our university, I would like to let you know that my computer was hacked by the following students. She then put all our names by the means of stealing my USB drive and filling it with malware. Not only are they immediately suspended from my lessons, I would also like to know why I would not contact the police and have them arrested for cyber crimes. Kind regards, Kavina. So naturally, everyone is freaking out. And that night, I get no sleep because I don't know if it's Santa who's coming down the chimney or a freaking FBI SWAT team there to arrest me. Eventually, Christmas break is over without us hearing anything else and we go back to school. The director contacts us and sets up a meeting between everyone involved so we can talk it out. When we go to the meeting, we find that apparently the computer is now fine and she will allow us back in her class. We still had questions like what happened, but those were ignored. It wasn't so much a meeting as just an announcement. Later, we found out that one of the other teachers took a look at the hacked computer and the USB drive and found nothing out of the ordinary. So he asked her what exactly happened to make her think we hacked her PC. She told him that she plugged in the USB drive and turned on her computer, but instead of Windows, it showed a blue screen with white text that read, your files have not been touched. That apparently scared her into turning off her PC and sending that email from her phone. The other teacher thought for a minute and then quickly Googled something before showing her a picture. Did it look like this? Yes, that's exactly it. What virus did they infect my computer with? It turns out that what she saw was part of a Windows update screen. Wow. You know what? I don't know if this is necessarily a Kavin. I mean, it is because she's thought that, the, you know, it's a virus when really it's just Windows updating, right? But this is actually the most serious one we've seen so far. I mean, it's actually quite serious. The, the accusations that she is making, I agree with the title. You could be arrested for that, especially when she's in a position of power as the teacher over you, the student. That's very, very dangerous. Obviously, she's on the back foot and, you know, she's not sure what's going on. And she probably does actually think that she's been hacked. But to say that with zero justification is mad like the comments down below are saying that they would expect a full written apology as it's a huge accusation without any merit and another great comment says that how was she teaching software engineering if she doesn't recognize an update i think that's the main thing here she is just pretty dumb clearly and she probably shouldn't be teaching that anymore and now for our final story of this episode i'm pretty sure i'm a kevin as i read through these i sadly think of more ways that i'm a kevin here are a few examples of my idiocy. When I was 14, my brother and I went through the woods in our backyard to go to a playground in the neighboring neighborhood. He took the long way back, but I was too tired, so I went back through the woods. A spider landed on me and I freaked out and realized that I was lost. I started crying and screamed help at the top of my lungs for about 10 minutes. Finally, someone came out of their house and helped me. It was a man who lived two houses down from me. I was about 15 feet from the edge of the trees 
and literally two houses away. When I was 15, one of my friends made Kraft mac and cheese for me for the first time, and it was amazing. I wasn't good with the stove, so I found Easy Mac. I read the directions and still did not make it right. It was inedible. Back to Stauffer's for me. When I was 16, my brother took me to dinner for his last night before going to college. We're sitting there eating dinner like normal teenagers. When mid-bite, I dropped my food. Chicken don't have fingers. What the heck am I eating? Oh my gosh. To be honest, the previous two weren't that bad. The first one wasn't that bad at all. You can always get lost when you're young. The second one, admittedly, a little bit more stupid. But that one my word also at 16 i would get terribly drunk knowing i couldn't drive i would have my 14 year old friends drive my brand new car because they were too young to drink in my mind the only thing they'd ever driven were golf carts around the country club somehow there were never any wrecks okay that one is now incredibly dangerous for obvious reasons Now at 30 years old, my best friend of two years goes to the tanning bed so often that they offer her a job and she starts working there. There's a bunch of skin cancer in my family, so I worry and want to talk to her. Jenny, you're like eight shades past my pasty butt. Are you sure you need to keep tanning? Opie, you know I'm Mexican, right? No, no I did not. First generation Mexican-American, like born in the US, but both parents were born and now are both back in Mexico. I just assumed she was bilingual because she was super smart. And finally, just this Christmas, I was wrapping gifts. My dog kept barking and annoying me. I walked to the front of the house where she normally would be and she wasn't there and she stopped barking. I went back to wrapping. She started barking again and I went to the back and she wasn't there and quit barking. I once again went back to rapping. She started barking again. By now, it had been 20 minutes and she was annoying me. I searched the whole dang house and she was nowhere. Walking through the kitchen, a glimmer caught my eye. She was on the back porch. I have no idea how she got outside. There were no doors open and she was inside when I started rapping. I was home alone and every door was locked. She's not allowed outside alone because she runs away. The only way she got outside is by me, and to this day, I have no recollection of doing this. That's all I've got for now, but I've been a pretty big dumbass through the years. Okay, comments down below. Do you think the OP here is a Kevin or not? I want to give you a chance to comment before I say my opinion, because I think I think this one is, is close. Because I think there are certain attributes that all Kevins have, which I'm not sure the OP has. For instance... First of all, I would say that that Kevin's on the whole are not self-aware, whereas OP clearly is. I mean, the fact that you said from the off that you think that you're a Kevin leads me to believe that you're not going to be a Kevin because that is showing some form of common sense, which on the whole, as I said, Kevins don't have. However, when we go through the things that you have done, a lot of them, well, half of them, I'd say roughly, are very Kevin-like. I mean, the car one, clearly... The Mexico one is not that bad, but the, the chickens don't have fingers. Well, I mean, that is just the, the definition of a Kevin. The others I'm not so sure on. I also don't know about the last one at all. I mean, you probably just forgot that you'd let the dog out or something. Who knows? But overall, yeah, I want to see your thoughts. I would say that the OP is on the whole a Kevin. There are some things in here which are just mental, but not as Kevin-like as some others that we've seen on this subreddit. And it's definitely, hopefully, on the way 
to redemption. So there we go then. That is going to do it for the best stories about Kevin of 2023. A couple of absolute classics in there. Hope you guys enjoyed. I want to do more stories about Kevin and more episodes on this subreddit in the new year. So drop a like, subscribe, follow me, get notifications on so you know when I post more episodes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.